Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It's the news, according to me. Good Monday morning. It is 9.05 a.m., almost on the dot. <clears throat> 9.05 a.m. 9.05. Monday, November 20th, 2023. And I am here, your host, with the news, according to the way I see it. My opinion on the news. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a financial counselor. I'm just a guy with a cup full of chai. With cinnamon creamer in it. <clears throat> my, my throat's a little bit funny today. Part of the problem is I have a backup cup, but it's upstairs. I'm not going to be able to get to it. I got in kind of late last night. I got the next few days. Uh, definitely will be... Uh, we're definitely going to have a few shows in a row here. The next few days, uh, today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, for sure. There will be shows uh, on the docket, which is good because there's some serious news. I, I was going to have just a short show this morning at, at 7 a.m. I was going to get up uh, a little earlier. And I woke up actually at 3 o'clock in the morning, which is kind of a – there's something about that hour. I'm not sure what, what's going on there. Um, some people think it's a God thing. That uh, we wake up at three o'clock. There, there's been all kinds of theories for for years about this. It's interesting. It, it's um, I just I heard some I just heard some other stuff on YouTube the other day. I should probably just call this channel the YouTube Critiquer, the YouTube Critique. I uh, I spend a lot of time listening to YouTube stuff, uh, a lot of, a lot of creator stuff, uh, stuff on that that YouTube creators do not. Uh, and uh, one, of the th one of the things is there's this one channel I've just run across in the last few months that talks a lot of stuff, just a lot of stuff about biblical type stuff and, and uh, different stories from the Bible. One of them is really good. It's, a, it's okay, I, my name is Methuselah, and this is who I am, or this I am Gideon, this is my story, or whatever. It, it's, um, it's, and it tells kind of more of a, a really good, it kind of puts it in perspective, talks about the person, uh, it kind of brings the, fills in the gaps around the person of scripture. In other words, it, it talks about, okay, this person did this and it kind of lays the whole thing out in more of a story form, which is kind of interesting because um, it, it's, it's, and it's not, un, un, it's not, uh, it doesn't take anything, it doesn't fill in gaps with things that are, are non-existent. It, it simply just puts things in a very clear way. Um, Kind of filling in, you know, around the story, just making making this. The, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's it's not just the you know not just reading scripture. It's it's kind of the the story of this is what happened to me. This is how this is you know this is what happened. This is what happened. You know, I'm I'm the son of such and such or whatever it came from this line. It's it, it brings it pulls together more of the the background of the person from the Bible, and it's it's just it's very interesting, especially going through the. Uh, the one I found most fascinating was Methuselah. Uh, he was – I see Noah was um, Methuselah's grandson. Didn't know that. I think it was Lamech that uh, was Noah's father. And the, the length of time that they all lived – now Methuselah lived – he was actually – his name was when, it, when he dies, it will happen. He died the day before the flood. Methuselah lived to like 969 years, I think. I think Noah was 950. He lived another 350 years after the flood. So it's just the timing of those kinds of things uh, is just fascinating to me. Um, I don't know why I was getting off on that, but, but it's, uh, so I listened to that, that kind of stuff. And one of the things I was listening to the other day, that this guy was talking about the, the, the hour of 3 o'clock in the morning, why God, why God wakes people up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I, now this has happened to me for years. Not, not every day, three, three o'clock in the morning, not every morning. But typically when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's, or, or <clears throat> well, there's some other things that happen too. But I'll, I'll just, some other, other times that I'd, I'll look at the clock in a certain time. And it, I'm not going to get into that. But the hour of, you know, the, the close, close to three o'clock or right at three o'clock, this morning happened to be right at three o'clock. Or it might have been 3.03. I can't, can't remember for sure. And 
it's at that hour that, that some people say, well, it's the opposite hour of when he, when he was crucified. Some people say it's the, the, uh, the side of the clock that the enemy is trying to attack you. And there's other people who believe that it's, it's the hour, it's the quiet hour that, that God is trying to speak to you. When it's, it's the middle of the, of the, the calm in the silence. Some people get up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to go to work. I, I don't do that. Not, not very often. Occasionally I do. It's pretty rare. But I, I, um, it's always 3 o'clock somewhere, by the way. No, it's, right now it's 3.10 somewhere. In the morning probably, uh, oh, where would it be? China, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so so we have this you know, this this issue of whether or not that's that's the case. So whatever now, of course now whenever I get, I always kind of wonder: Is God trying to speak to me? Is trying, you know, is there something going on here? Anyway, besides all that, uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to get into, and I was, I was going to have a short show this morning, and I was going to have a, I was going to try to meet some people for coffee at, at eight thirty this morning, but that that did not happen. When I realized I was not going to make it, I was like, "Well, you know what? I'm just going to get some other things done here this morning, and I'm going to." Have my show a little later, and uh, have a, have a little longer show. But I don't know what else. I, I didn't really have anything prepared to talk about, which I, I never do anyway. Here, here I am, t- seven minutes into the show, and I haven't said anything yet. Well, I've said some things, but I guess not anything, but something. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it depends on the you know. It's all dep- you have to get the context. You know, it's it's all about whether or not you care about whether or not that's. You could say, "Wow, you said a lot already," but. Then somebody else might say, just get into it, Kevin. Just get, just get with it. Get to it. We knew all this. All right. So before me, I have uh, nothing. I have nothing on my docket. But I have some things in my head I'd like to talk about. One of the things is uh, the rhetoric that just continues to ramp up. And it's – now there was, there was some very interesting uh, – there's, there's a guy by the name of Steve uh, Conchinetti. 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 I don't know his name. I'm, I'm, I think he's from Australia. Uh, but he's actually, I think he might have Asian background. He might be Korean or, or something. Um, he, actually, he actually lives in Australia. Now, he is in the United States now. And I, I don't know. Uh, let's see here if we have. Well, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. Let's see, let's see if I can find his, his channel because he just recently – uh, posted something about the. It was an interesting, very, very interesting about the Book of Revelation. Now he has studied a lot of end time prophecy stuff. He he claims that we are, we have entered into uh, the beginning of the tribulation. Now he talks about the war that's going on in Israel right now, um, and he he believes that that is the the part of the wars and rumors of wars. That are going on this this whole this whole conflict that Israel is in, because of the timing of it, especially with the timing of Israel uh, becoming a, coming back together in, in 1948, the whole thing with with all that, um, he he has put together a lot of a lot of timing things. Now another guy that has done this is Jonathan Kahn. Uh, Jonathan Kahn has looked at Trump, and he he looks at a lot of people. He gets into the 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 years of things that like the way we parallel things that are happening in scripture uh, or characters in the Bible, and you know the uh, some some of the very important decisions that the Supreme Court has made, some of the things that Trump has done, um, and when the timing of those events, he looks into he find he just finds all these nuggets of things that happen um, with regard to. Years and times, and the way people did things, and the, the the things that were involved. One of the things that Steve, um, <clears throat> this this guy, uh, boy, I wish I could remember his name. I thought I had it right here, but it's not. Conchinetti might be his name. I don't know. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Prophecy, Steve. Conchinetti. Let's see if that even comes up with anything. Oh, there it is. There it is. 
Uh, Steve. Yeah. Consolati? 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 I don't know. Consolati? Consolati? Something? I don't know. Uh, it's spelled C-I-O-C-C-O-L-A-N-T-I. You tell me what that, how to pronounce that. Ciclonati, maybe? I don't know. I, yeah, something like that. Anyway, he, he's, he's an interesting guy. Now, he's, he's not always right about everything, and of course he's, he'll, he'll admit to that. He's, he's, he's been, he's, but he's pr- fairly humble about those kinds of things. He, he, he doesn't um, – he basically comes across with a you – know, this, this timeline could be wrong. It could be, it could be correct, but this is where he thinks that we are on the timeline. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not emphatic about it. Um, he does have some opinions, but he doesn't you – know, he's not like me. He doesn't just you – know, he's not like uh, pushy with them, unlike I am. I'm kind of pushy about my stuff. I used to be. I used to be. I used to be. I used to be. I used to be a real pain in the butt for some some church leaders. I was. Uh, I was pretty dogmatic on some things. Still, I am on, on there. Are, there are things that I will always be dogmatic on. Um, but there are things that I, I you know, I was probably a little bit uh, pushy about being. You know, the world's a little bit more gray than I thought. At what at, at a time in my life, but the um, <clears throat> but they're still absolutes. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, so uh, he talks about this end time prophecy stuff, and it's really really interesting because um, he, he he lays into this. One of the things that uh, is talked about is the I believe it's the which which one of the horses is it the is it the red horse? He talks about one of the horses. It's actually uh, the horse the color that is talked about. It actually is a green horse. And he talks about the color of certain flags and how they are united, how the, how the, the, the colors kind of point out who, that they are, have a similar origin. And he, and he talks about the, the, like the Hamas flag and some other things. But he also talks about the, the, <clears throat> um, some of the names of people. Fau- the name Fauci, what it means. Um, some other things. And it's, it talks about the... the the COVID plague, all kinds of, you know, some other things like that. If you have a chance to go listen to him, it's, it's interesting the way he puts it together. Now, I don't know. Again, it's, it's one of those things where people can put things together. You can, you can pluck things out of everywhere. It's, 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 um, and if you're not careful, you can really go down some weird roads. And, um, there's, I'm not saying that's what he's doing. I'm just saying that's that, that can be done. It's it's very easy to go down those those roads of you know saying one thing and it's not at all uh, the way it looks. But it's it's interesting. Uh, I think I think one of his I think his website is usachurch.online. usachurch.online. Now I don't know if that's uh, his yeah is that his website. I don't know. Uh, discover.org.au. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's there's some other things he's got some other places he can. Well, anyway, he um, he lays out some things with the with the situation that we have right now and how this the timeline from when this the, the war in Israel is supposed to break out and how we have based the clock has started ticking basically on when the tribulation will will be, will be here. And I don't know how he. I don't remember how exactly I figured all that out, but it's just interesting stuff. But it's interesting to, to note, and I, I was thinking about this this morning. A lot of the rhetoric is being called, you know, this, this whole thing about uh, the people are rising up in, in protest about what Israel is doing right now. There was also the issue of uh, over the, I guess, over the weekend, last Thursday or Friday, a letter to America from bin Laden, which I don't know anything about the authenticity of this thing. I, I don't. I really don't know if bin Laden wrote this or someone else wrote this in his name, or if, if it was just a made-up thing that now is is hit TikTok because it plays into all of the stuff that's going on right now. Invasion of even talks about Gaza, which leads leads me to believe that because we haven't heard how long has this guy been dead? It's been over twenty years since nine eleven. 
Now, apparently this letter was written as an explanation to America. Letter to America. Why, I, why we did 9-11. Oh, really? Uh, did you mention anything prior to doing 9-11? Did you happen to mention? Why, why didn't you send a letter to America before 9-11? Did he do that? I don't, I don't know. Haven't heard anything about that one. You'd think that'd be uncovered in the last 23 years. No one knew who this guy was. The only time I'd ever heard of this guy was when the Ali North trial was going on about his, they were trying to impeach him or trying to, whatever they're trying to do to the guy. It had to do with Iran-Contra back in Reagan's day. This was probably in 1988. Or not, it was 80, 89, pregnant, yeah, somewhere in the, in, around 1990. And Oliver North, who was the general, I don't know what, it was, what his title was at the time. I just sneezed. You didn't hear it. I had, um, he, he was going on about this whole thing and he, somebody asked him about, you know, it's the security, the biggest security threat that we faced in the country. He was being called, he was being asked questions before Congress. And he had all, he had this, he had spent like $80,000 at the time. It was a ridiculous amount of money, $80,000 on a security system for his home. And Congress, this congressman was asking him, why in the world are you, well, because there's some under death threats right now. There's very dangerous people out there. And I think it was Al Gore that was asking him questions. And, and he said, Osama bin Laden is the most dangerous person on the planet right now. And interestingly enough, Al Gore had never heard of him. And he practically laughed in his face. He said, oh, it's just, oh, it's Osama, what, oh, so what, Ben, what? I'm going to see if I can find this because it's, it's probably worth playing. Um, Al Gore, Osama, I don't even know how to spell his name, Laden, Oliver North. Let's see if we can find it. It's got to be here somewhere. Here we go. Oliver North, Osama bin Laden, Laden, uh, Laden hoax, Iran contra hearings. Let's, let's see. This is, uh, it's about eight minutes long. And there's, there's others that are shorter. Five things to know about Oliver North. Some of Bin Laden's letter to America, why are TikTokers agreeing? See, and this is, this is the, the problem with this whole thing is that there's a bunch of TikTokers who probably weren't even alive on 9-11. Who are reading this thing and say, it's changing my life. Oh, it changes my whole perspective of, I don't know what, you know, it's changed my whole perspective of the United States. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't, no, it hasn't at all. You already had that perspective. It's, you don't get it. You don't understand <clears throat> what was going on there. It's, it's supposedly it's decades old now. This letter to America is decades old. Letter to, has gone viral on TikTok. Of course, it's going to go viral on TikTok. That doesn't mean it. That doesn't mean people approve of it. That just. But they're they're saying there's all these all these whatever they are now. I don't know what the, what the latest millennials, whatever they are, whatever they are. They, they, millennials, I think, started in 80, 87, 88. Is that right? Something like that. It, uh, the Guardian, I guess, removed the letter to America. They had, had it posted on their TikTok site, I guess, or something. Um, yeah, let's see here. What else we got here? We got, we got, so we got Oliver North. This is an eight-minute long thing. I, uh, pretty sure somewhere in here, I'm going to kind of, Oh, here it is. This, this is actually it. Let's, let's listen to this for a minute. Several thousand dollars uh, was spent on a fence uh, security system that was uh, put in at your residence. And it's asking the about this. monies to pay for it uh, came from General Secord. Uh, and my question to you is, were you aware? I take it there was a, a, a security Now, you have to look at the... The, the look on, on Oliver North's face right now. He's looking down and off to the right. He's, he's, 
You can tell he's mad about this. Because, yeah, they spent a lot of money on a security system for his house. And the, the, the general, it came out of the general fund. It came, it came, Congress paid for this. The military paid for this. They had to. Had to protect this guy. And he was under threat. Now, here, here, system put in they're asking him about this. He's staring off. There is a security system in at my residence. It has since uh, this April been sufficiently supplemented that it is now extraordinary. He's not, he's not pulling back on this. Yes, I have a security system and it's been supplemented. It's been improved. It's been upgraded. You realize even just talking about it, he has to be very careful what he says about it. Because if he says the wrong thing, he might disclose some kind of weakness with the, with the system. He doesn't want to do that. But it's, here he goes. And I take it. He's got somebody whispering you, in his ear. Were you aware that that security system was paid for by General Secor? I'm going to waffle an answer. I'm going to say yes and no. And if you indulge me, I will give you another one of my very straightforward but rather lengthy answers. The issue of the security system was first broached immediately after a threat on my life by Abu Nidal. Abu Nidal is, as I'm sure you on the intelligence committees know, the principal foremost assassin in the world today. He is a brutal murderer. When I was first alerted to that threat... Now, Abu Nidal, you have to understand, is a sub-worker for Osama bin Laden. That's, so this is, this is where this whole story un unwinds. He is one of his, his top... You'd say one of his top uh, lieutenants or one of his top officials. ...by the Federal Bureau of Investigation in late <laughs> April. I was simply told that there was a threat that had been promulgated by Abu Bakr, who is the press spokesman for the Fatah Revolutionary Council, which is the name of the Abu Nidal group. He targeted me for assassination. We then made an effort over the course of several days to have the story killed and not run in U.S., not me, but the story, killed and not run on the U.S. media. Nonetheless, it ran, and I believe the date was the 28th of April. You can tell he doesn't even want to talk about this. They didn't want this to go public. They didn't want anybody to know that he knew that, that they were after him or that they were, have, had any kind of special security around him. They were trying to trap this guy trying to find him they wanted they wanted him to make an attempt but they, they it was it's, it's one of those things where it's you don't always tell your enemy the, what your defenses are well these are my defenses this is what i've got you know it's okay well then we, now we know how to, how to work around that we know what won't work this this it's you can tell this is bothering him even talking about it that's why they didn't go public with it the initial assessment was that this was a response to the attack on Libya, which we had run a uh, preemptive counter-terrorist raid on Re Libya on the 14th of April, which I had a small role to play. I remember that day. I, I remember where I was when that happened that day. I was actually at church. It wasn't, it wasn't a Sunday. It was on a Friday. And there was the, uh, what had happened was uh, there were some missiles launched. It was a very strategic and very... Uh, want to call uh, surgical strike and it it devastated them it was a actually it was a, looking back on it now it was a brilliant move at the time it, it was it, people were all upset about it but it was actually it, it, it set them back years and years and years cbs chose to run the film <laughs> anyway the fbi was then contacted again and told asked what protection can be offered. The FBI correctly said, we don't offer protection. I then sought other types of protection. I went to my superiors and said, what can be done? Contrary to what was said some days ago, this lieutenant colonel 
was not offered at that time any protection by the government of the United States, Senator Rudman. I asked for it, and I was told that the only thing that I could do is to immediately PCS, permanent change of station, you and I as Marines know well what that means, and jerked out of our home and sent to Camp Lejeune. In that I was preparing at the time to go to Tehran, and we didn't want to tell the whole world that, that was deemed not to be an appropriate thing to do. The next thing that we looked at trying to do was to find a secure telephone to put in my home to justify the installation of a U.S. government security system. That, too, was impossible or not feasible or couldn't be done. The next thing I did was to ask for a list of who installs these things for, for the U.S. government. Maybe I can get a better price. So now he's looking for a contractor. To do this, who, who, because you know, people like Halliburton, there's a, there's private agencies out there that are contracted with the government to do these things. He's thinking maybe he can just go directly to them and get a better price from them because they, you know, they, they always overcharge. They always pad things for the government, charge them four times as much because you know we're bilking this taxpayer. By calling them, I believe it was someone in the Secret Service gave me a list of three or four of these companies that do that kind of installation. I called two or three of them. It is now late April, early May. It's within days of this threat. And I called and I asked, can you come out and do a survey and give me weeks before we can come out and do an estimate? I'm going to skip through a little bit more. And I told him, the, the 5th of May, introduced me to Mr. Glenn Robinette. He was introduced to me as a man who, one, had been a former CIA or perhaps two, a survey. And he came up with an estimate. So he's talking more about the wall There's an even the, deal or the fence they put up. But I was about to leave for Tehran. I had already been told by Director Casey that I should be prepared to take my own life. I had already been told that the government of the United States on an earlier proposal for a trip might even disavow the fact that I had gone on the trip on an earlier proposal. And we can come back to that at some time if you like. And so having been asked, speed this having up. asked for uh, to, uh, some type of U.S. government protection for my wife and children, and having been denied that, and perhaps for fully legitimate reasons, and if there is a law that prevents the protection of American government employees and their families from people like Abu Nidal, then gentlemen, please fix it. Because this kid won't be around much longer, as I'm sure you know. But there will be others, if they take activist steps to address the problem of terrorism, who will be threatened. And I would like to just, if I may, just read to you a little bit about Mr. Abu Nidal. Just so you know my mental state at the time. Abu Nidal, Here's the radical Palestinian guerrilla leader linked to last Friday's attacks in Rome and Vienna. And that was the so-called Christmas massacre in which 19 people died and 200 were wounded, is the world's most wanted terrorist. That's the Christian Science Monitor. When you look at his whole career, Abu Nidal makes the infamous terrorist Carlos look like a Boy Scout. Abu Nidal himself quoted in Der Spiegel, between America and us, there exists a war to the death. In the coming months and years, Americans will be thinking about us. For sheer viciousness, Abu Nidal has few rivals in the underworld of terrorism. Newsweek, our own State Department, and we have copies of these that we can make available for insertion in the record, but the State Department summary on Abu Nidal, not exactly an overstatement, notes that his followers, who number an estimated 500, have killed as many as 181 persons and wounded more than 200 in two years. Abu Nidal does not deny these things. Okay, that was that was the basic uh, talking about Abu Nadal. Now, Al Gore later on, as a senator, starts asking him about the same thing, and he, he ends up talking about. Uh, I wish I could find it really quickly here, but there's nothing. Everything I can find here is more more about the. Uh, it's more about Iran Contra than it is about actual uh, statement that he made about Osama bin Laden. So it's 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 telling. I mean, it was, I remember I remember I, I watched it live. Um, now I want to talk about a few things that are that are going on, and it's just it's just, a, it's just a smattering of things this morning. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is, is some of the way that people twist things, and 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 later on, and how they manipulate and annihilate things, and it's 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 disturbing to me to watch some of this footage coming out of Gaza. I used to see – I saw the same thing out of Ukraine. There's actually computer-generated stuff right now so, that's so good 
they'll show an airplane being shot down over over Ukraine, or an, an airplane that's being that that uh, one of them was Afghanistan. There's a C-130 taken off, and it's um, it crashes. There, there, this guy on the ground is, and he's they're they're watching this thing flying, and next thing you know, it crashes, and it looks real. It really looks real. It's not real. It's it's one of those things where it, when you when you watch it, it's like boy, the graphics are some, and it's just it's a video game. But the graphics themselves look so realistic that you would you would think this thing was actually happening. This is where we're we're going with this stuff now. When I see some of the the pictures, the photos of people walking through rubble in Ukraine or in Gaza, especially especially in Gaza, this has been the it's, that's the hot spot right now with media. When someone is walking all by themselves through the rubble, this, this building has been blown up. And it just looks like, you know, this, this looks like, you know, World War III kind of thing. It's just all devastated. It looks like the apocalypse. This guy's walking through, holding a baby, carrying, you know, his something in his other hand or whatever, you know, it's like a little bag of whatever. And he's trying to work his way through the rubble. Folks, you have to understand, you have to recognize a photo shoot when you see it. This idea that there's just all of a sudden there's a camera there. It just happens to be on a tripod. And the lighting is perfect. And the photo is, is just absolutely spectacular. The lens isn't even dirty. The weather conditions are perfect. The lighting is perfect. You have to understand that some of this stuff, not all of it, some of it is staged. So much of it is propaganda. I would, well, I think this is a way, this is a very conservative estimate, but at least half of it is. I think more of it is. is. Recently saw a video coming out of, of Gaza where this man is on the street and he's, oh, he's just, he's, he's just beside himself. He's sitting down on the street, on the sidewalk. I told him, well, we just should have stayed home. Now, now they're spe he's speaking in, his, 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 they were had, had subtitles. And he's, he's, he's screaming, we should have just stayed home. I told him we should have just stayed home. Oh, God, oh, God, why, why didn't we, you know, why didn't we stay home? I told him we should stay home. His, his, this is his, an old man, his, I think it was his grandson. And there's this, the body of a young man laying there on the ground. And there's a, a little bit of blood uh, on the sidewalk. And it doesn't look like real blood to me. I'm sorry. It just uh, it did. And he's there, and he's. It's. He's overacting. Okay. It's it's it's. Now it's it's hard to tell. Some people do. You can't always tell how some people are going to act when when they have a trauma going on. It just doesn't look right. Something doesn't look right. It doesn't set well. It doesn't seem correct in this whole scenario. And it's, it's disturbing, mostly because it just, that you know, well, here's the other, other, other side of it. Who's doing the filming here? Who's recording this? Because the image is absolutely stable. The camera angle is, is absolutely perfect. 
the whole shot is is like it couldn't have been made better. Now, I see this kind of stuff on a lot of YouTube shorts and a lot of other things where people are staging all kinds of incidents now. Or oh, some, some lady on an airplane has a, you know, has a fit. And they show her, you know, something going on. Like this one, one, one deal where this lady had really long hair and she kept flipping over the back of her seat. And this guy was trying to watch the video on his little, on the back of the seat thing. Some, some planes have the little video players on the back of the seat. So he's sitting there trying to watch the video and she keeps flipping her hair back onto the, onto the he keeps flipping it over. And then finally he takes a bunch of chewing gum and some other stuff and starts putting it in her hair. It, this isn't real. First of all, the hair didn't look real. It, it looked like a wig. Secondly, people just don't act like that. I mean, you know, occasionally you get somebody that does something like that, but it's like, excuse me, ma'am, you're covering up. There was no, there was no conversation. There was nothing, nothing going on. You know, at some point you can, you can talk to the flight attendant. You just, you say, hey, look, this is, this lady keeps doing this. And, you know, what, what can I do here? You know, occasionally you get people that are that rude, but it's, it's pretty rare that you can't work something out. It's just, it's just it's some, some of these scenarios are, are a little bit off the chart. Now, this one, I saw this other one the other day where there was, it was supposedly in Chicago. This guy was sitting in his car. The title of this thing was Don't Sit in Your Car in Chicago. And this, this kid comes walking up. He's probably, you know, 15, 16 years old. He's walking up and it looks like he sticks a gun in the car and just, you know, sends the thing off, and then he goes, goes running off. Nobody stopped. And you, and you look at the comments on this thing, and, of course, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's saying how, oh, you know, oh, man, that kid needs to go to jail. That kind of stuff. Oh, I need to catch that guy. This is the way Chicago is. It was, it was, it was like an airsoft gun. I, I, mean, I, I didn't... The only gun I saw didn't look like it looked like a toy gun. And first of all, there was no. You have that many shots going off. You're going to have some gunpowder flying. You know, it, it, you've got some. There was nothing. There was, and, and it was very quiet. It wasn't very loud. There wasn't much recoil in the gun. It nothing looked right about the scenario. And here's the the thing that sets it off the most: who's doing the recording? Who happened to be standing there at the back of this car with a camera as somebody walks up, shoots inside of it, and then the kid runs off while there's somebody filming the whole thing, all within frame, all perfectly framed. Just, just the most ridiculous looking thing. And yet it, it looked real enough that people were commenting on it as if it was real. This is, and people are doing this for clicks because, you know, you get the clicks or you get the, get the watches, you get the comments, you get the viral stuff going on. That's what they're looking for. That's the way our society is becoming. It's just it, the culture itself is becoming ridiculous. Speaking of culture, there's this, there's this, a couple of ladies on the, the the YouTube shorts thing has become pretty popular. I guess I guess it's a lot like uh, is it, it's, it's kind of like TikTok or something. It's kind of like whatever it is, where you just kind of keep swiping. You know, you, these people play these little short things, like two, two two minutes long or whatever they are, two or three minutes long. You just kind of keep flipping through them. Interesting stuff. And when, when I'm trying to kill time, just sitting waiting on an airplane or something, I'll, sometimes I'll find myself flipping through and usually usually it's based on whatever whatever video you're playing if you look down below the suggested stuff a lot of times you'll find shorts that are related to the kind of thing you're looking at so it's you see something else that somebody makes a comment on or has has a particular you know how to build this or how to build that or what, what kind of tire you should do what kind of tire pressure you should use if you're going up and down a hill whatever whatever it is it's just, it's just uh, so it's, i occasionally start flipping through that kind of stuff of course then they always fill it in with other this other stuff and a lot of those shorts, there's, there's this one lady who is obviously a racist. She plays a little clip of this lady uh, who's, who's kind of singing in the rain. She's just, she's just kind of enjoying the rain and saying something. So it's a little white girl. 
probably a teenager. This black lady gets on there and it, she, she plays this. And then she says, why are white people, why do white people, uh, you know, black people have set cre- creative black people, black creators, that's what you call it. Black, black, black creators have set boundaries. And why are you, why do you keep appropriating yourself and, and, and d- d- diminishing what we're doing? The girl was just singing in the rain and posting it on social media. Is, is this something that, and of course, my, my thought went immediately to Gene Kelly singing in the rain. I guess we have to cancel him now because the, the black dictators now have set boundaries that we have to abide by. This is the Marxism that we're headed for. This is, this is where collectivism goes. But the rhetoric itself is just, it, it becomes so foggy in a, in a time like this where, the, where the, you don't know what's real and what's fake. And it's, it becomes very disturbing to me. Probably because I, I've, I've been in video and audio long enough to know that I, I, I just haven't, I've always been this way. I, I watched, uh, what was the movie? The dinosaur movie. Uh, what was that? I can't remember what it was called. It's, <laughs> there were several of them. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and all. Yeah, it's always the ahs and the owls and then the, the, the screaming and yelling. What, 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 what was it? Uh, Jurassic Park. Why couldn't I think of that? Jurassic Park. I watched that movie with a bunch of friends. And all I'm thinking about is camera angles and the scenes and how they all play out. And, of course, I could, I could tell what was coming. Whenever there was, I always listen to the music in the background as well because, you know, something's about to happen. And because of the way they frame the shot, it's like, okay, there's going to be a monster poking his through, head through that window in just a second. And the guy who played uh, Newman on Jerry Seinfeld, he was in there in the car at one point. He, he gets eaten, I think, because whatever it was, some kind of raptor. It just sticks its head through there and or busts through or whatever, grabs him and starts eating him. And I'm laughing my head off. And everybody... <laughs> I still remember the... <laughs> comment this one lady had in the room she's like you know watching a scary movie with you just kind of takes it all out takes it takes all the scariness out of it <laughs> gives me a whole different perspective <laughs> because i'm sitting there laughing at at this stuff because i i know it's not first of all i know it's not real and secondly i i know how this stuff is made once you've seen the sausage made it's like you don't you you don't you don't get wrapped up in the and the thing is, if it's real anymore, it just, it just doesn't, you know, because, you know, you're thinking about camera angles and microphones and all those kinds of things. And, and it's, <laughs> it's a very funny movie, actually. It's, uh, and it, it's, it's hard for me to watch anything. Now, when things are, the movies that are made on like documentaries or, or docudramas or things that are based on a true story. I, I still catch all of the, the CG and the, everything else that goes on. However, I, one thing I, I do appreciate is the fact that this is, this is telling a story pretty much usually, at least it's based on a, on a true story where they're trying to, you know, replicate the story as best as possible. However, they will always make things a little more dramatic than they really were. That just typically happens. That's, that's what sells. And I get that. I understand it. They got to they got to make it a you know entertaining movie, so they'll throw in stuff that they may or may not happen, or they'll put in some kind of social woke stuff, you know, crap that probably didn't happen, or make a, make a, you know, make a social issue out of something that it wasn't a social issue at the time, or sometimes it is. So it's it's interesting that, that some of this stuff happens, and I and I wish I could. Be even I wish, that this is that certain times I wish I had a, a little bit larger platform to bring out some of this stuff. Or I wish I had more time, I guess, to invest in showing these kinds of things and then pointing out where the you know, folks take a step back and think about who's doing the filming. That's not really a film anymore, it's recording. Who's doing the recording? How did they get the sound? You know, it's almost as if this guy's wearing a microphone. 
The stability of the camera itself is incredible. It's got to be on a tripod or it's got to be on a stabilizer. It's, it's got to be on a, on a gimbal. And who, who's walking around with a gimbal in a war zone where people are being shot? It, it just, so much of it um, is simply propaganda. And, and most of the, the numbers we hear coming out of Gaza, oh, 10,000 people have been killed so far. Oh, really? 10,000 people. And they're all babies. Well, yeah, I guess, well, half of the population is children, according to people with all the experts. I, I tell you, most of the time when I see videos there, I don't see half the population. Be, I don't see the children anywhere. Unless, unless it's, of course, in a, in a propaganda film. And they're all bodies laying around. We're being fed a pack of lies. And that's, uh, is, is everything that Israel's doing correct? No. And here, here's the other thing I want to talk about. Is it anti-Semitic to protest what Israel is doing? No, it's not. Israel may be a Jewish nation, but Israel itself is not necessarily Jewish. Israel is kind of a secular nation that has a, an official religion. You know, not everyone that fights uh, in the Israeli defense force is, is, is Jewish. It's not just the Jews rising up. And Jews themselves, uh, you know, you can be from Europe and be Jewish. You can, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a genetic thing. Now, there are, well, I've been, one of the things I've been going through lately, and it's been, boy, it's been kind of eye-opening. It's also very, it's very complicated and very disturbing at the same time is the religion of Islam. There's, there's a couple of different uh, scholars, I will call them, uh, very well-educated people who grew up in Islam. And, and they were uh, very devout and became Christians upon further study of the Quran and the life of Muhammad. And they are exposing, you know, they are, of course, they are under death threat, obviously, because it's a peaceful religion. And they, they are, uh, so one guy has like a radio show, <clears throat> and he's got, a lot of the times he, in the midst of talking to people who are calling in, trying to, trying to call him out and prove him wrong, they end up getting converted. And he, and he plays this stuff on YouTube. He puts the, puts the, uh, puts the whole, and it's usually about an hour long. And these guys, these guys usually end up t turning, turning around and, and realizing how, that, that the, the, the – what's the guy's name? Rushdie? What was that? Uh, Salman Rushdie back in the day. I think it was back in the 80s or 90s. Had a, he wrote a book called uh, Satanic Verses. And there are sat satanic verses. And it's, it's – it, yeah, the, the, the whole thing of, and Shatan and all this stuff is what, – what's happening there – um, is there, they have these verses that are showing where the influence came from for, that Muhammad was speaking from. And it's, it's very confusing for most people, but this guy lays it all out and shows that, look, this is not... Well, he also... Uh, there's another guy who has a whole, whole series of teachings on the Quran and the life of Muhammad and there are serious questions of whether this guy even existed or not. Most of the writings about this guy were written several hundred years ago or several hundred years after his life.
the Gospels are written by people who were, who walked with Jesus. Yeshua. So it's just, it's a lot of interesting things uh, happening right now. <clears throat> and of course, I guess there's there's some just another note. There's a I think the, the president or prime minister of India. I don't know what, what he's. I don't know what they call him. He apparently has has decided that they are not going to accept any any uh, is, Islam or Muslim refugees. None. So they cannot allow their population, the population of their country. He said, when when a population in any country reaches thirty percent. Muslim, the country is doomed. Now look at Europe right now. I don't know what I don't know what the population of Muslims are. <clears throat> I can probably find out. Uh, population of Muslims in UK. Let's see what it is. Uh, there's no percentage there. That's 4.4% 4, 4. 4%, uh, given the population of 4.4% of total of UK well results in 2000. As of 2001, uh, right now it's 6.5%. It's, uh, it's gone up 2% in just a couple of years there from 2011. In 10 years, it went up 2%. Um, and that's estimated <clears throat> to go up uh, much further. Now, when they say that when it's uh, – here, here it is uh, – This is more interesting. This is one that was done in 2001. I'm going to click on this and find out what it was. <clears throat> uh, oh, sure. Now we have all this cookie stuff, whatever. Uh, deny. Okay. Population of England, Wales stands at 59 million <clears throat> people. The Muslim population is 3.8% uh, million or 6.5% of the total. Uh, as the overall England and Wales population grows by 3.5 million in the decade 2011-2001, so do Muslim communities by 1.1 million, contributing to 33% of, of the increase. There, uh, the, the point here that, that most people are trying to make here is that the Muslim population is increasing uh, as it is, it is 33% of the increase and it will – in other words, it is increasing faster than any other group – and, uh, of course, now the mass migration just, you know, exponentially increases that. 18% uh, population standing at – overall, the UK continues to be a more diverse nation with uh, minority ethnic population standing at 18%. It's, it's, it's higher than that. Um, the, the way they're counting these numbers is, is ridiculous, but it, it is much higher than that. Now, having said that, um, there's, there's – maybe – I don't know exactly who it was that was saying it, but he's basically saying we're not going to allow any more because when they reach 33%, it's, that's when trouble starts. And, and of course, he gets accused of being this uh, Islamophobe. Um, and maybe, maybe he is. I don't know. It's, uh, how do you want to define that? Do you want to find that by based on you know, actual numbers and, and all the issues that we seem to be having with it? I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where that all stands. But all, what I do know is that this idea, this ideology of wiping out Jews from the face of Palestine, if you want to call it that, Palestine is not a country; it's just a region. And so, so for someone to say Palestine is, is actually it is a region. It's been a region for years. Of course, it was kind of made up by. Well, my understanding is made up by the uh, Romans, but the name of it was made up by the Romans. So it's it. I don't know. It, it's it's crazy stuff. I'm gonna move on. Uh, so this lady, this one lady, was talking about taxes, and she's talking about she's going on this rant about how you can't afford to pay for my you can't afford to pay for my uh, my student debt. You can't afford to pay for this. Can't afford to pay for that. Can't I know I don't I don't have I can't afford to pay my rent. Can't afford, but you can take my tax money and send you know eleven billion dollars or whatever it is to Israel. To kill, you know, Gazans or whatever. Well, um, I guarantee you this lady probably, probably 
doesn't pay federal taxes. There's about 100 million people. Well, there's not anymore. At at one point, not too long ago, there were about 100 million people in the workforce. Today, I think there's about 80 million. Well, let's just look and see. I got this World Wide Web thing here. Let's Let's see what we got. Um, what, what just happened to my, that's interesting. Oh, well, um, this is, I'm going to look for full-time workers, uh, in the USA. Let's see what it is. Uh, full-time, part-time employment. 93.6, uh, in 1990, there were 98, or 98.67 million full-time employees, which had an increase of 132, increased to 132 million employees by 2022 after the recession. The number of full-time employees dropped. Uh, so we are, we are up there, full-time employees. Now, some, some people have two jobs. When you talk about full-time and part-time employment, this is the U.S. government, by the way, uh, job numbers. Full-time, part-time. This is uh, full-time. Oh, it's women. There are more women now. Uh, part-timers make up a, a larger – women make up a larger percentage of the, of the part-time workers and uh, men still make up a larger percent. By 55 percent of full-time jobs are men. Now um, – it's looking like I don't. They say these are all percentages. These aren't numbers. I had thought that the the numbers of number of jobs had gone way down uh, into the less than 100 million. I know that there are 100 million homes uh, in the United States. In other words, uh, not home, not not buildings, but uh, family units, if you want to call them that. Home, you know, uh, home units type things. The um, yeah, there's a lot of breakdowns here percentage-wise, but it's these aren't actual numbers. But about half of that half of the numbers of people who are actually workers do not pay federal income tax. They might pay state. They might pay. Of course, you're going to pay local taxes. You got to pay um, other things. Even if you know if you own a home, you're paying property tax. If you buy gas for your car, you're paying all kinds of taxes in the gas. Pay sales tax every time you go to the store. Different things like that. You're you're going. To, you're still paying taxes. You pay taxes all, all the time. You know, they, yes, you still get deductions. You're going to get Social Security. You're going to get uh, FICA. All that kind of stuff's going to come out of your check. But at the end of the year, you're probably going to get a tax you know break. You're probably going to get a check back from the federal government, and probably even one from the state, from the deductions they took. And most people. I shouldn't say most, about half the people out there who have a job, who are getting a paycheck on a payroll, do not pay federal tax. In other words, they get all their federal tax money back. Some get a credit. So for some of these people to say that they're, oh, they're taking my tax dollars, not necessarily. And when you look at it, the people that they're really taking from are the people who are the most productive, people who are making the most, not the rich, not not necessarily the rich people. It's the people making money, people who are working, who have professional jobs, who put in the effort to invest in their career early on, spent the money to invest in their career, got the experience, worked for years, 20 years in their field, have, are, the, are now the experts in their field, and they're worth a lot of money because they know what they can save a company huge amounts of money by doing the right thing, doing the job the right way. They've earned their keep. They're worth their money. They're professionals at what they do. You're not, you're not walking out of college as a professional. You're walking out of college as some, you know, skull full of mush that has an idea of what to do in a particular career field. You have no experience. Welcome to McDonald's. Welcome to your starter job. 
And by the way, a, a starter job at McDonald's, and I just saw this the other day. There's actually this morning, this guy was talking about how, oh, you know, you go to McDonald's and prices are going up at McDonald's now. You can't, you can't hardly afford to, you know, McDonald's. That's not the role of McDonald's. McDonald's is supposed to be the place where if you've got three dollars in your pocket, you're supposed to be able to go out and get, you know, get a, a burger. Well, um, if McDonald's wants to charge more, just don't go to McDonald's. McDonald's doesn't have a role or an obligation to society to charge the least amount of any other fast food restaurant. And here's the other part of that. How much are they paying McDonald's workers now? On the West Coast, I understand they're, bringing, they're, they're, they're ramping up the minimum wage out there to, to some food chains to $20 an hour, 20 bucks an hour. Folks, I know people who are in professional positions, in jobs that you'd be surprised are not making that kind of money a day. And you want to make a career out of working a cash register at McDonald's? If that's your life's goal, if that's your, if that's your ambition, to, that, that should be a starter job for you. It shouldn't be where you work the rest of your life. Well, I can't get a job anywhere else. Well, why is that? Because McDonald's has programs where you can get educated. You can apply for grants. You can work your way up. You can become a, a, a manager. It's not supposed to be a living wage job or you can afford to live like everybody else in America, have a car and a house and everything else, feed a family of four, and then I sit around and complain about it. And guess what? It was, so, and, and it's, it's up to, guess what? If, if, it, if you want to get paid that much, then, get, then go ahead. McDonald's, pay them pay him 20 bucks an hour. Start putting in the kiosks and the, and the robots to make the food. And then guess what happens to the price of that, that food? It, it goes up. And sometimes the quality and the value of it goes, goes down. Sometimes the volume of what you get goes down. The nuggets start becoming a little smaller. The burgers are a little smaller. And people complain about it. I've got this thing called cheeseburger economics. Cheeseburger economics. And it has, it relates directly to McDonald's or fast food. If a value meal costs you an hour of your labor, if you work there, if you work at McDonald's and you're, and you're getting paid 10 bucks an hour and you go in to get a value meal and it costs you 10 bucks, that's about, that's about, and that's not exactly that. It's probably less than that. But that's, that's basically been the, the, the general rule for years. In, in Indiana, when I was growing up, for many, many, many years, minimum wage was 325 an hour. When I went to get a value meal, it was about 325, about four bucks, whatever it was, right around four bucks. And you can biggie size it for another dollar. So we're five bucks. And most people at McDonald's were making about five bucks an hour. And you start about 325 and you work your way up. That's where it was. Now, they're pushing it to 20 and they're wondering why they want to charge them 20 bucks for a hamburger. It's all relative, folks. It's all, it's all relative. Now, there are other expenses involved and there's other things going on. But for every dollar you pay your employee, you're paying out of your own pocket. You're paying taxes on, on, the end, on my end. I, I, had, I had employees at one time. I had eight employees at one time. And I was, I was paying them all pretty well. And then I realized, oh, so you're telling me that for every $20 I'm paying that employee, we might take 7% out for their, ta their federal taxes. And I'm paying another 7%. They're actually paying 
in federal tax, but they never see the 7% that I'm paying. And it doesn't even show up on their tax stub. All they see is the 7% that gets deducted. They don't see the 7% that I'm paying on my side to have that employee. The government is double dipping there. And they're hiding it from the employee. They're penalizing me for, having, for employing someone. They're charging me for employing someone. So, of course, I'm not going to employ somebody. I'm, I'm going to try to reduce as much as I can because I, I, I can't afford that. I'm getting nothing for that. For that 7% of, my, of my, my funds I'm paying, I'm not getting anything for that. You didn't build that. Oh, yes, I did. If I didn't do it, nobody else would. Well, you, the road was there. The, all the stuff was there for you to do it. Yeah, it was all there. It was all there for anybody to do it. Problem was, nobody else was doing it. I did it. I built it. So shut up. Because nobody else was building it. Nobody else started that business. Nobody else was going to start that business. Nobody else put their, their financial future on the line, took the risk and the challenge with their skills, put it all on the line to make that happen. Nobody else was doing that. I did that. And somehow the government thinks, well, now we need to come in and take some of your money. So some of what you did there, uh, we're going to take some of that away. It's, it's immoral, folks. It, that is absolutely immoral to do that. Happens every day. And if you don't pay enough, well, we don't think you paid us enough and we're going to come after you now. We're not going to put you through a big, long process of, we think you've cheated somehow. Somehow you've cheated. So we're going to come after you now. I'm going to put a lien on your house. Yeah, great. One of the things that was interesting about uh, Chekalahati, Stephen, the guy I was talking about at the beginning, he said that this, the one horse is green. And it, says, it said, you start looking at the green thing and the gold green, you know, the, the green New Deal and all the things that, that just, he had this whole way of tying all this together. It was quite, quite, quite fascinating. I'd like to talk about it more, but I just realized I've gone well over an hour and I, I know it's been a long show. So a uh, lot to think about, a lot to talk about. As the week goes on, I'm hoping to have a little more time. I've got some busy things to do this evening and this afternoon and this evening. The next few days, though, I should, I should have time to catch up on some things. And one of the things I want to do tomorrow is um, talk a little bit more about what's happening with the Trump saga because it is, uh, it's still unfolding. A lot of things are happening. Trump did get a few victories, so to speak. Um, yes and no. The gag orders continue to be stayed. They, 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 they basically, the things that are going on there are just absolutely ridiculous. It's like a, it's like a junior high kid trying to run it. This whole Engeron thing uh, and Jack Smith, the, the, talk about some freaky people. It's just it's totally off their mind, out of their minds. And I want to talk a little bit more about the, the whole thing about Joe Biden, the fact that he's running for president, but he's not running for president. He's not going to be on the ticket. And, I, and there's so much energy, and I, they're, they're just using him as cannon fodder at this point. Everybody's going after Joe Biden. Everybody's talking about Joe Biden. We need to start going after the real can, the, the person who's really going to be there. The governor of California. God bless everybody. Have a great day. Pray for our leadership. <laughs>